Contracting Conversations. I'm Scott Williams, and I'm joined again by my partner, Jim Valley. Today, we are continuing our series on contracting the age of AI, and we're talking again with Professor Rhonda Moss from our Mid-Atlantic region. Uh, just a reminder for our listeners, Rhonda is a professor of software engineering and agile coach and is DAU's lead for AI research. Rhonda, welcome back to part four of our series. Thank you, Scott. So for the first question today, for anybody who might have not heard our last episode, tell us again what responsible AI is. Responsible AI is an ethical movement, and it's really happening globally for AI in various ways. You know, the EU is handling it in certain ways. China is saying they're handling it in their way. But within DOD, responsible AI is just amazingly important. And so I'm going to give you our DOD definition of responsible AI or RAI as we call it. RAI is a dynamic approach to the design, development, and use of AI capabilities that implements DOD's AI ethical principles in order to advance the trustworthiness of AI capabilities. There's a great line in our RAI strategy that says responsible AI is a journey to trust. I love that line. It's a journey to trust. So ultimately, what that means is we need to build technology that we can trust. We need to know exactly what our technology is doing. We need to build trust with the American public, with our leaders and stakeholders. And certainly, we need to build trust with our end users and warfighters who are using these modern systems. So that's our AI in a nutshell. Okay, fantastic, Rhonda. So it seems like we are newly doubling down on this idea of trusting our systems, right? There's a lot of risk out there, it seems, that people believe, believe there is when it comes to AI. But haven't we always needed to trust our systems? Yes. I mean, particularly in DOD, given the reason why we build these products is to deter and defend, right? And so, yes, we've always needed that trust in our system. And and for the most part, we've always been in complete control of our non-AI systems, the way they work, the way we wrote requirements for them and had them do exactly what they were required to do. And, you know, we're also very famous for testing and making sure they do what they're supposed to do and not anything else. The beauty, though, of what modern AI brings to the table, it's also the risk. So the ability of AI to quickly assimilate massive volumes of data, the ability to find insights beyond what humans can do, the ability to make predictions and logical recommendations, and in some systems, even the ability to take action based on that analysis is truly amazing. That's the beauty of AI, but that's also the risk. So those abilities of modern technology are also why we don't always agree with why AI, with what AI comes up with. In some cases today, we don't necessarily understand why AI is doing certain things. Well, you know, why did it come out with those answers? Sometimes it seems a little bit crazy. And so that's too risky. So responsible AI is a whole lot about us being able to trust AI and that's whether it's the American public or down to the warfighter and the end user, we all need to be able to understand what it's doing and to be able to trust that it's going to do what we want it to do to operate within the guide rails that we've given it. So, you know, it's crucial that we continue to learn to harness the power of AI and that we don't really slow down. 
you know, our competitive adversaries are not slowing down. But a big part of AI now is also learning how to control it and how to get it to explain itself and ensuring that we're using it ethically. All right. Thanks, Rhonda. Hey, Rhonda, I'm going to pull on that thread just a bit here. So the question is, why does AI sometimes make these kind of mistakes? And could you give us an example? Yeah, sure. So you may have heard the term AI hallucination. That one's big on the news right now. That's when an AI model generates false or illogical information that's not based on real data or events. You may have heard of fake images and things like that. Sometimes there are bad actors telling AI to do those things, but other times and more often than not, it's AI itself coming up with things that aren't logical or aren't real. And because AI is now so good at communicating back to us in natural ways, that's what natural language processing is. That's a form of AI that, you know, ChatGPT and Google uh, Bard are using, for instance, or Bing Chat, where it communicates back with you in such a natural, realistic way that it's easy to fool the humans in some cases, unsuspecting humans might take whatever AI is saying to be backed, right? So it's not always intentionally trying to fool us. That It's not that out of control yet, but it can sound pretty convincing. And, you know, I told you that AI evaluates massive volumes of data, but what's in that data? What's the provenance of the data? Was it created for this purpose in the first place? Why was it created? Is it factual? Is it representative of everything it needs to be for this system? And I'll give you a fun example and a real world sort of disturbing example. Scott, what would you do if you're driving home from work today and you saw a giraffe on the side of the road? Oh, I would probably pull over and take a picture. Absolutely. I don't need to be an AI to predict your answer on that one. You know, you probably stop and take a picture. And as it turns out, humans universally find giraffes quite interesting. So giraffes and other rare animals are very much overrepresented in some image databases. So if it's an animal database, or if it's animals on the side of the road database, there's a database for everything. Giraffes are overrepresented in people's vacation pictures and things like that. And so you're far more likely to photograph something we rarely see and that we're fascinated with, like a giraffe or a zebra, than you are the average, you know, deer or dog that's walking down the road. So some AI engines mistake outdoor scenes, chimneys or trees, you know, tall, narrow things as giraffe. AI disproportionately tends to think some of those types of outdoor scenes are actually giraffes. So that's a fun example. And that's actually given birth to a term called giraffing. And that's when data is overrepresented in a database. But a more serious example has to do with images. There's an example of images of African-American women. And for a long time, there's been a problem with some AI facial recognition engines that routinely mistake African-American women for African-American men, or they just fail to recognize the women altogether. Now, these women might think, who cares, right? My best friend is African-American. She said, I don't care if any of those engines ever recognize me. But now, though, these images are being used in everyday life to accomplish tasks that we need it to. For instance, some international air carriers now use your face as your boarding pass. It happened to me when I went to Belize. I was leaving um, Dallas and to get on the plane, they didn't want my paper boarding pass or my phone. They wanted me to stand in front of a camera 
right there next to the airline attendant before you board the plane and take a picture and they, and it popped right up my name. Well, that was my boarding pass, right? And so if that happened to you and you were in line and it didn't recognize you, you would definitely feel disenfranchised, embarrassed. It might hold things up and it wouldn't be your fault at all. So that's a situation where it's a bad thing, right? Now, why, why did that happen? It happened because, and researchers took a look at this, just because back in the day, whenever this photographic database was created, a lot of them are quite old. Whoever it was that was populating the database took more pictures of African-American men than they did women. And at that point, it may have been for a different purpose, right? It was unintended bias. But now that we're using that data today in an AI system, we have to be careful. So one of the key tenets of RAI is we need to understand where our data comes from and whether it has any bias in it. Thanks, Rhonda, for that in-depth answer. That was a great response. And to go a different direction really quickly, uh, how is DOD CDAO helping acquisition teams align to the five AI ethical principles of responsible, equitable, traceable, reliable, and governable? Oh, good job. You you have our five AI principles down, a ethical principles. So it, DOD has ethical principles. You know, we all learn about them every year when we take our ethics training. But we really needed a new view of ethics when it comes to these modern technology systems. And so CDAO, the Chief Data and AI Office, is responsible for giving us ways to implement those ethics within our acquisition programs. And it's not an easy, easy answer, right? The world is still working on how to make AI more ethical and how to potentially, even in some cases, regulate it and certainly govern it. So right now what we have is we have a DOD, and we'll put these in the in the resources here. We have three key documents, a DOD AI ethics document, the five ethics you just mentioned, we have a DOD responsible AI strategy and pathway, and that gives you more information about what our AI is and what DOD is doing to get us to creating systems that are trustworthy. And very recently, in the last couple of weeks, CDAO has come out with a very helpful RAI toolkit. And you can Google that even. Just Google CDAO RAI toolkit. And you'll come upon this fantastic website CDAO just put out for us that helps you on your program um, figure out how to implement those kind of ethics into your technology, into your AI and machine learning. Great, Rhonda. Thanks so much. So, Rhonda, as a 1102, you know, contract specialist, it, what this tells me is if I'm going to contract for, for AI, or I'm going to, you know, do the continuous sustainment of an AI software program. I need to consider this, right? Is is a contracting professional? What do you have to say about that? And uh, anything else you want to add on that? Well, I'm glad you came up with that. You got it. The truth is, the DoD is probably going to buy much more AI than we're going to build, right? It takes a lot of different types of expertise to build these systems well. In a lot of cases, there's already tools out there in your cloud tool stack that can help you start to do AI. And so we're going to buy a lot more AI probably than we're going to build over time. So I can't think of a place where we need to get this right sooner than upfront at the market research stage and the contracting stage. It's absolutely crucial. You know, and I like to think of it as RAI is the way. 
whether it's for DOD or our vendors. <laughs> for any of you who are Star Wars Mandalorian fans, RAI is the way. You know, when a Mandalorian says in their most kind of deadpan, steadfast voice, this is the way, right? What do they mean? It means they're accepting or asking others to accept uncompromising adherence to their culture, moral code, and to their traditions. And so it's a way of life that emphasizes uncompromising discipline. I looked this up, by the way, loyalty, protection, and being on the right side of things. That's absolutely what we need to do in DOD with our AI. So I can't think of a better analogy for responsible AI than the Mandalorian warrior mantra. Right. Technology built by and for DOD must align to the laws of war and our ethical standards. We have to focus on safety and preventing unintended harm, focus on transparency and accountability. We need to know what that AI is capable of and what it's doing. And we have to collaborate with our tight knit community within DOD and also among our allies and the other federal agencies in order to create trustworthy AI for the good and the protection of all. Definitely, RAA is the way. It is the way. There is a question I have that kind of goes back up to risk, you know, and mitigating risk. And, and if this is going to be a long answer, just kind of keep it short. Maybe this is another podcast we want to do. But is there another risk, right, that we're too slow in trying to mitigate risk, right? It slows us down in development of AI in DOD, which may allow our competitors out there to outpace us in development and causing us a uh, risk in that area, right? In protecting the United States and its other countries. Yes, you're right on the money with these questions today. Absolutely. We have to keep pace, right? And we know that these things are coming at us at an ever-increasing pace. I think we said on the last episode, you know, you go on leave for two weeks and you come back and chat GPT does a whole new slew of, you know, has a whole new slew of capabilities. So, yes, there is a risk. Um, and, and you know, there, you might have heard in the news, uh, several months back that some of the big tech company leaders wanted to pause on AI. They wanted to stop innovating on AI. And there, and that seemed like a good idea for a lot of reasons. But the problem is if we pause to try and get these other things right, our adversaries won't, right? And they'll get ahead of us because these, these changes and these new capabilities come out very quickly. So CDAO tells us that we need to keep working at the pace we're working and that the way we're going to handle some of this risk is to create AI in small batches. We're, we're going to be very agile about how we create AI, which is what we're supposed to be doing with modern software anyway. Short iterations, show it to the end users, get immediate feedback on how it's working and go back to the well and, and make tweaks, right? And that's, that's what they consider to be a better way for us to handle risk. Don't go off for two or three years and build what seems like the world's most perfect AI system. And then you roll it out to the field and find out it doesn't work. We're going to roll these things out in small batches. We're going to test the heck out of them internally, of course. But then we're going to put it into the hands of some end users and find out if there are challenges with it that we didn't expect or didn't plan for. That's fantastic, Rhonda. And I know we have a future podcast that's going to talk about, you know, how should contracting handle the acquisition process? Since we, a lot of times we are leading that process with, you know, the program manager to make sure that we are using a process that allows 
changes could happen quickly as they are developing and all that kind of fun stuff. So is there anything else you want to add before we close out this podcast? No, I don't think so. I guess I could give you one hint on that because there's a small group uh, working uh, FFRDCs and some DOD folks, as well as some CDA folks working on advice for what to put in a contract for AI, right? What's over and above what you would put in a typical modern software contract to account for AI. And so hopefully we'll be able to give you that late breaking news. But I will say that we need to be agile. So for any of our contracting professionals who have worked on agile contracts for modern software, or if you are in a situation where you need to, one of the biggest things you need to do for AI is make sure that it's agile. So there's a wealth of advice here on agile contracting. Maybe we can put some of that in the resources too, Jim and Scott. And so if you start with that and all the advice that's out there for contracting for modern software, there's a huge body of advice for that. You can't go wrong. It's a very good start. Okay, great. And definitely we will make sure we put those links in the description of the video podcast below. Fantastic. Thank you. So Rhonda, thank you so much for coming on here for episode four, part four. And we look forward to the next one. You want to talk about that at all? No, I think I'm good. RAI is the way. Let's end it with that. Let's leave that in everybody's mind. All right, we'll do that. Sounds fantastic. So that is all for today. Thank you for being here for this podcast. Just a reminder, if you could sign up for our podcast on DAU Media or on YouTube or Apple Podcasts. And please subscribe, like it, and share it. Get it out there. I think this, especially this series, is fantastic for every contract professional to know. But we have some great assets out there on all our certification courses, our credentials, and other great topics for you to listen to. So we look forward to having future contracting conversations with you. 